With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
righty. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Um, I'm your host, Michael Basham, here on the Fringe Radio Network. You're listening to Spirit Wars, and today we have a very, very special guest. We are greatly honored to have Gary Wayne joining us today. Wow, it's so great to have you on the show. Uh, it's been it's been about a year and a half, um, and we're just so pleased to have you. And so many questions to ask you, Gary. How are you doing? How is the uh, how is the lockdown going in your area, there, sir? Well, I'm doing fine, and uh, it's not affecting me a whole lot. I mean, it's a bit frustrating. I, there's some things I'd like to be doing, but I do so much on. Uh, shows from my home anyways and social media and writing and stuff like that so it doesn't really affect me that much but we are not on complete lockdown but every day they take more you know freedom sort of away in terms of what they want you to do they haven't legislated you to stay in the home yet but uh, so I get out a couple times a day and uh, hopefully it uh it uh, is going to pass. We're not, I'm in an area in British Columbia, Canada, that, you know, was one of the first places, you know, on the map to get it along with Washington next door to us. But uh, we haven't had that huge surge uh, in cases. I mean, it's still increasing in BC, the the number of cases, but slowly and as it is in Canada, but not nothing like what's going on in New Jersey or in New York or what's starting to happen in Detroit and, New Orleans and places like that. So we got our fingers crossed that it's uh, not going to get out of hand, but uh, it uh, it's, you know, something that uh, is not going to go away for a while by the looks of it. So it's a matter of now as to how long, and they're not really wanting to say how long, but now they're saying, you know, probably July and they're going to take August probably off the map pretty soon as well, but we'll see. It's, it's hard to know. Well, certainly, and I, I wanted to ask you about um, kind of the topic is more or less regarding Gnosticism and infiltrating modern church society and modern civilization, and I have a lot of questions that are coming in, but also at the same time, are you kind of like telling people, I told you so, like this New World Order stuff is real, and you know, have you have you not read the Genesis 6 yeah. conspiracy well, yet? And you know, like... not, not exactly. I'm actually trying to slow people down and okay. uh, oh, not get good. them out over their skis too far because that's yet to come. We don't have the world government yet. We don't have the universal religion. We don't have sacrifices going on on a wing of the temple that the Muslims still control. And so we're not in the last seven years yet. But, you know, obviously, when people see pestilences, as it's described in the King James Version Bible, or diseases or pandemics, as what we're, we're getting, people are starting to say, well, our, have the four horsemen come out? And I'm going, no, 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 that's, that's either just before or just after the start of the last seven years. So, But understand, though, that I'm, what I'm also trying to get people to understand is to start to understand the chronology of the end times. Yes. So when we get the, the signs of the end times, which this is amongst, you know, as well as famines and earthquakes and wars and rumors of war, and the best uh, place to read that is Matthew 24. Uh, you get in uh, verse seven and eight, right? You know, right after in verse nine, you get the uh, beginning of sorrows that Jesus tells us about. And these are, as you take that back to, and you've got some Old Testament verses. Everything's defined within the Bible, so you yes. get a full understanding of what it is. But sorrows is basically birth pains, and then that's spelled out in Isaiah thirteen. Or I mean, Isaiah 13, uh, 21 is, is talking about 
not the Armageddon, but Isaiah 13 is more about the middle portion of, of the uh, last seven years. And then Jeremiah 49, 24 as well, and Hosea 13, 13. And birth pangs is the definition to sorrows. And so birth pangs in terms of that allegory, as a woman is coming to birth, and the birth will be the 1,000-year millennium that we're going to go into at the end of Armageddon, they will quicken these birth pains and get more intense as you go. So that's why Jesus states right after those initial birth signs that includes the pestilences that they are the beginning of sorrows, the beginning of the birth pangs. And that's appropriate to the last generation or the fig tree generation as you get later into the chapter. And we don't know how long a generation is. It's either 70 years as Psalms talks about, or in Genesis six, it's 120 years. So yes. we're not told which one and we need to be open for, for both. But I think it started at the taking of Jerusalem because most prophecy is centered around uh, Jerusalem. So if we are in that last fig tree generation, the time would have started ticking with Jerusalem as opposed to the creation of Israel. Both need to be in place, but you know, just as Jesus kills the fig tree uh, while he was there in Jerusalem, this is the tree that now is going to spruce uh, uh, leaves and, and come to, you know, full bloom again. So I think this is the start of the birth pangs. We've had other diseases before. We've got earthquakes quickening, but it's going to increase as we go through. So we're going to see more of this. And that's important to understand. And even when you get into the last seven years, you've got trumpet judgments, which, I mean, the seal judgments, which will effectively destroy 25% of the earth, including 25% of the people. Yes. You've got the trumpets that destroy 33%. And then you've got the bull judgments of Revelation 15 when they start that destroy the whole earth except for as matthew talks about jesus steps in to prevent the whole earth so again even in the last seven years the birth pangs are in place with intensity and quickening as you go right so i would expect to see and that's what catches people off guard so much is that the the signs of the end times are repeated over and over and over not because they're necessarily always describing the same cataclysm but they look identical it's just the difference uh, intensity size as, right. as we go through. That's going to fool a lot of people as we go through. So what I'm trying to tell people right now is, is we don't have world government. We don't have universal religion. So we're not in those last seven years. And if we are in the, in the last generation that I think that we, that we might be and that we are, um, then this is, we've still got a ways to go. Now you require it. What I tell a lot of people about prophecy is that to get these significant changes you need catastrophes because there's no way we're, we're going to just sort of muddle our way into world government Good or point. you know muddle our way into everybody accepting a universal religion so it's going to take some significant catastrophes and revelations and false prophets and probably an alien deception and everything else sure um to cattle herd people into accepting out of fear first the universal religion because we're going to be told that if we don't convert these catastrophes are going to destroy us from the face of the earth that's the babel syndrome right. so come together as one people 
That's why uh, the universal religion is called Babylon, because it's, it's one of the archetypes of the allegory to the Babylon that controls the seven world empires and the, the end time empire until Antichrist comes along at the midpoint of the last seven years. Agreed. So yeah. mm -hmm. these things, these things, you know, have a time and a place and we don't want to get to a point where you lose your credibility in terms of, of what we're, what we're uh, talking about. And believe me, when I talk about the universal religion is going to drive people through fear, this is going to be quite obvious. I mean, they're going to have prophets out there saying, if you don't convert, this is going to happen. And then that contrived disaster or catastrophe will happen. And so very quickly that will come about. So it'll be in a way that is not the normal process. So all of this sort of movement towards world government is just setting up the platform for it. So. Well, it's still, and that's, that's the thing that I, I have been following you for years now and been brushing up on my recent Gary Wayne as well, because you have so much knowledge and people are, they need sometimes to have things kind of dumbed down a little bit. No offense to the, audience our audience is very smart but there are people who maybe they just look at you and they're like well is it illuminati time now or what you know is it covid19 <laughs> it's just the end times and yeah. so it's yeah. to look at genesis 6 conspiracy and to go through everything all the different you know from the illuminati the rosicrucians new age millennium all the um all the different religions out there and and before we get into that, and thank you for touch, touching on um, coronavirus here. I'd buy you a corona right now if you were in Hawaii with us. But um, what is it about this um, Freemason sort of the progression? I went through a 33, all the degrees untethering from all the curses that you put yourself through when you go into the 33rd degree. And it's interesting that they go through each religion, every god from Buddha to Krishna to all the false religions, Taoism and Shinto, even Shinto is in there. Yep. And and they tether you to these gods before introducing Lucifer as the true Christ and Jesus is bad, Satan is good type thing. What is that? How How could it be that all the religions are sort of molded together through Freemasonry and all the Illuminati stuff. It's one of the groups that is working on uniting all of the religions as a universal religion. And okay. not that this is, is something that can't be done in their eyes because they recognize all of these other pantheons and all of these other gods and religions as worshiping the same gods of the pantheon. And that it is different branches of the original religion that was before the flood yes. when their organization was first created as an extension of the knowledge that Enoch son of Cain developed and why he's one of their great patriarchs as opposed to Enoch son of Jared, which is the one that's taken to heaven. And they like to conflate the two so that they don't get called out on what they're talking about. And I don't blame them in the West with what the Christian church has done to them. <laughs> for the last couple of thousand years. So I understand that. But this is the religion that married with the knowledge of the fallen angels or the gods that accelerated the Antediluvian Epoch into the first apocalypse. And when that knowledge was first 
sorted out into the seven basic sciences by Enoch, which is the knowledge he learns from Adam, as the Masons believe, and was taught by God in the Garden of Eden, all of this knowledge to be an agrarian and all the things that he needed to do right. was passed on to his progeny when he was when Adam was ostracized out of Eden. So mm-hmm. Cain develop it, develops it more. And in fact, we get a first instance of the of masonry being used with Enoch because Cain names the first city he builds after Enoch called Hanok, which people think is the transliterated version of the Sumerian Uruk. So oh. the H would be silent. And uh, again, I talk about that in my book for people who are more interested in that. But that's sort of the application of the sciences. And it marries up and goes on steroids in the sixth generation when, when the giants are created, the Nephilim in Genesis 6. And so this is uh, what a result of all of this knowledge and the development of this knowledge requires that they're going to keep it away from the poor and away from the people of, that's not in their lineage. Even though the Sethians are practicing it, they're practicing it in a completely different way than the Cainites are and the progeny of Cain. And so to do so, they develop this sun worship bull cult of the antediluvian epoch that is known as Enochian mysticisms by the Essenes because Enoch, son of Cain, is their greatest patriarch. And Jubilees, obviously, is their most sacred book thereof. And they believe their religion is the religion of Heliopolis, and it went rogue with uh, the monarchy, and that they have the true polytheist religion. So they're a sister religion to the Kabbalists and why they're so associated and have the rituals in Freemasonry. But that's another rabbit hole, try and stay on topic here. So to protect this knowledge and to develop it and to keep it away from the mundane and the people who don't deserve it in their belief, they develop this mystical religion and the mystery schools, which leads to the development of the secret societies, which Masonry takes their beginnings from, and which is why Lamech, again, of the Cain line, and Tubal Cain, who's the offspring of Lamech. And again, there's two Lamechs also oh. in the in the Sethian line as well. So it gets okay. confusing if you don't understand the two lineages. Uh, and Nama, who uh, is thought to, at least in the Masonic belief system, thought to have uh, married angels and produced giants and or married other giants to produce hybrid offspring that would be smaller than the original Nephilim. I don't care which one people believe. That's why she's in that also uh, recorded in infamy with Tubal Cain and Jubal and Jubal. And uh, Jubal is the one who was developing masonry in the Antidulian Epoch. So this is the religion that crosses the flood. And that's done according to Masonic history and Gnostic history by Hermes discovering the two pillars of Lamech or Enoch, where they gave directions and, and some other information to where the knowledge of Enoch was stored in 36,525 books on nine vaults stacked on top of each other and buried below the pyramid. Hermes okay. finds the pillars, finds the knowledge, brings it back to Babel. Um, and then partners with Nimrod, and they put that knowledge to use, which we see manifested again, which is why I gave the uh, example of, of the city of Enoch in, in the Antediluvian Epoch. Uh, they begin to build Babel City and uh, Babel Tower as a, as a manifestation. And I understand this is in Shinar. So just and to Nimrod clarify. stays in Shinar, and Shinar is a transliteration of Sumer. 
that that's the that's our Enoch, right? That's the the Enoch Enoch that they found his books under the pyramid. Is that correct? Or the other is it? it it's the evil Enoch. It's e- the Enoch evil Enoch. Oh my gosh! Yes. yes. And well, what about the good Enoch's books? Where do those go? <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope first Enoch is an accounting of some of his books. But, I mean, his books and writings, most for the most part, have been lost. And so okay. first Enoch is, you know, an accounting of a lot of Enoch. Um, and we don't have a Hebrew manuscript that we can verify, but it runs 99%. There's a couple corruptions in there, but it's, it's generally right. pretty, pretty darn good versus second Enoch or third Enoch or Enoch book of giants. So um, they go quite a bit astray from what, what the Bible talks about. And so this knowledge that uh, Nimrod learns with Hermes, they put it to use and he trains a thousand Masons as the story goes. And they build uh Babel City and Babel Tower, and Nimrod uh, is recognized by the Masonic historians as writing the first Masonic constitution after the flood. Okay. Which will be reformed at Heliopolis down the road, which is why the scenes connect both of those dots. So this is that ancient religion that crosses over the flood to Babel, which is the archetypical story for the end time with an Antichrist figure in Nimrod, and a false prophet figure in Hermes acting as one people with one language, nothing that they intend to do yes. will be prevented from them doing. And he's and Nimrod leads a rebellion against God 70 to hundred years after the flood. And so that allegory all goes into the allegory for the end time with the end time antichrist and end time Babylon. So what we're dealing with is basically a religion that started with the fall of Adam and his kids and through the flood and through Babylon, and it's all connected. And if you guys read, uh, I have it on Kindle, the the book, the Genesis 6 Conspiracy, you're going to see how all of these things come together. So now if we can pick your brain a little bit, uh, Gary, I spent about 15 years in Asia. I did mission work. I was in a... Uh, I went to a Jesuit university for a year, so I didn't know anything about them back then, but love to pick your brain about that. But um, how oh, we, we can... could do a show on Jesuits. It's, I know it's not that much. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I would, and I would show you some history and some connections that might be surprising, but I, I'm going I down another rabbit to. hole. Anyway. We could touch we'll on it on a little health. bit and we'll definitely do another show. If you're on lockdown now, I mean, it's like a blessing yep, in disguise to um, lots of time to do so now. <laughs> I promise we won't get to the end and be like, we weren't recording. Sorry. <laughs> and I, on behalf of all the shows that you've done and those people, People and their audiences, I want to thank you for your patience with us because it means a lot to have someone of your star quality coming and, you know, blessing us that aren't yet on national TV, but, you know, people randomly emailing you and calling you up and you're just very gracious. So I just wanted to thank you for um, Well, it's because I know I'm, I'm very fortunate to be in the position that I am and um, in a position to serve. And so I like what I do. Obviously, I'm very passionate about it. But I, you know, I want to be humble and I want to be open. That it's uh, you know people contacting me or asking me questions, um, and I encourage it regularly. And I hand out lots of information on topics, and you know, I've got lots of documents to offer people. But I do it because 
I know people want want to learn more. People have questions, and yes. this seems to be what my calling seems to be. And I'm I'm retired, so I have time to write and do this sort of stuff. And I I'm very very fortunate that I'm in a position to be able to do it. So. Um, I don't want to be one of those people who get what they would hope they'd be able to do and then complain about it. So <laughs> that wouldn't make any sense. Thank you. Thank you again. And, um, and you're just very, you're, you're one that is very beloved among all the fringe Christians and among the fringe radio network where, you know, Derek Gilbert uh, mirrors his show and we have a bunch of other guests that um, obviously you've talked with and, um, it's just, it's so exciting to, I also feel very honored to be, to be a part of this now and, um, taking a lot of my weird past of, you know, I mean, Canary Cry Radio people, mm-hmm. fortunately, uh, I had a chance to do some interviews with and they were just like, you're weird. You know, you've been through a lot of crazy stories, so I won't bore the audience <laughs> blabbing i want everybody's here to listen to you but um in my experience coming across some cults uh you might be interested in uh, the children of god specifically i noticed that they were very um they have a soft spot in their heart for one of the um gnostic sects that you refer to quite often the cathars and i think because they're the Children of God are a relatively new religious movement in the last 50 years, and they've pretty much petered off now. But they had a very um, sort of a, a soft spot towards the Cathars, thinking, well, they were actually Christians, and they were actually good, and the bad, evil Roman Catholic Church killed them all. And I was interested to hear what you had to say about that and, and and thinking, gosh, you know, this is really like, they had believed in some pretty off things actually. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, they're not, I mean, they call themselves Gnostic Christians. They did. I mean, that's kind of where the modern Gnostic movement comes out of and where wow. they're part of the Templar movement and a sister religion, uh, with the LB Gentians and, and if people aren't familiar with the LB Gentians, that's the crusade, which the Cathars were sort of uh, attached to that the Roman church um, levied against the Cathars and the LB Gentians and LB Gentian comes from LB Gents, which is basically a white patriarch and rooted in the, in the giant Elbion. And it's one of the bloodlines that it's representing in that name. And so that's just sort of the tip of of the iceberg. So the Cathars, they were exported from Bulgaria as a religion to invade Western Europe by a group called the Bogomils, which were made up of other um, polytheist and Gnostic-like religions that had gone underground, and there's a series of them. So the Bogomils are a mixture and amalgamation of groups like the Messalians and the Paulicians and the Manicheans, and all of them pushed underground and out of the Roman Empire and outside the Roman Empire until about, you know, 1000 AD, somewhere in that range. And, and they became so powerful because they intermixed with the descendants of uh, the princes of Jerusalem coming out of uh, Israel and 
the royal families uh, who were funding them. So this is oh, wow. the whole sort of package of groups that sponsors the Knights Templar and sponsors the monastic orders who are molded into the Roman church as Gnostics, particularly the Cistercians, Benedictines, Augustines, but all of the monastic orders have their roots back to the Essenes because the Essenes were the first polytheist monastic order in the West based on the monastic orders over in India and Buddhism and, and Hinduism. Okay. And so all of this sort of comes together that these, these are the same uh, religions that were persecuting the, the Jewish people and the Christians before the Christians uh, sort of became the state religion. And of course it changed dramatically with being homogenized with uh, Mithraism, which is part of those old religions and uh, taking on a lot of its iconology, some, you know, religious holidays, things like that. Uh, but it is, we need to understand that these were two rival religions and, and they would have done the same to the Roman Catholics okay. as the Roman Catholics did to them. I'm not condoning either. I'm just saying that it was, it was a battle for primacy in in uh, Europe and a I battle see. backed by the royal families on both sides. Okay, so certainly there was a lot more going on than what the average typical person just says, you know, I don't believe in God because, you know, all them religious wars and the church killed all those poor people. You know, it's a little bit more, uh, it's more sophisticated. It's more in involved in that. And they call themselves Gnostic Christians because they accept Jesus into their religion right right not as the son of god not as the redeemer not as the word of god not okay. as messiah not as everything that we know jesus as as a christian but as a teacher and uh, a mortal prophet at the best but certainly a teacher and that uh, he, you know, he died and he fathered children is also their belief. So they accept him as one of those ones sent on the way to help humankind evolve into godhood in this world. They classify Jesus along with Muhammad, with um, Confucius, with Buddha, with Zoroaster, with Hermes, all of the names that you you get out of history as being significant in a particular religion, he would be classified as one of those. And all of those are Christ conscious characters, right? And just as antichrist will be a Christ conscious type of antichrist yes. uh, or and an incarnation, as they like to talk about, that's where they uh, demote Jesus to. And in the end time, they're going to come out with, false evidence to show that Jesus didn't die on the cross. That's oh, their wow. plan. Oh my gosh. And yes. And, and they know this is a key to sending Christianity into a tailspin because as Paul, Paul talks about our faith and religion stands on that single doctrine that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was raised back to heaven by God three days later right. and is coming again. Yes. So if that was would be a lie, then our religion would be a lie. And what they're going to say is, well, you can keep 
parts of the first four Gospels, because Jesus, for the most part, only talks about him in, let's say, the first three Gospels. Because John is quite clear in terms of how how Jesus describes himself. But they're going to use the first three Gospels where Jesus says, I'm the Son of Man, not the Son of God, right? And they're going to focus on those things. And then just say that all the other Gospels, and particularly Paul, is the heretic. Oh. Because he raised Jesus to deity status. And they also don't like John. As and said. they don't like John because John clearly says who Jesus is as in the word of God and so many other things uh, that they have to uh, get rid of John as well as, as a false yeah, prophet. I, so. I've met people that, that stand on that weird doctrine. And it's very yes. clever how they infiltrate the yes. gnosis. They it doubt. just means knowledge. But what knowledge exactly? Yes. You know, that's what in the Rosicrucian orders and all these amazing people that were a part of that you know it's all coming down to a big climax but it's been in it's been in the works for quite some time and when i was in the jesuit university one of the better things i took from catholicism which i never became catholic was gk chesterton and i was wondering if you were familiar with um any of his work no i'm not um not to again bore the audience here but um gk chesterton uh had a friend you might have heard of named uh, hg wells and uh, George Bernard Shaw, and he even <laughs> almost came into contact with Aleister Crowley. So just the the list of, you know, the just bad Just a regular guys. friendship that includes Rosicrucians, right? Like right. everybody has friends like that. But the thing was, he was he wrote books against all of their, um, their heresies. And he wrote books okay, like good, Orthodoxy, good. Heretics. Yeah. He wrote books specifically crying out, you know, speaking out against all these um, these false doctrines that they were the new the rise of the new world order so yeah. i think your, yeah. your audience might like to uh check out gk chesterton's works from about 100 years yeah. ago um yeah. but uh my point was that it was very already intertwined all these gnostic kind of thinkings were mm-hmm. being planted into intelligentsia at that time and People like you are must be so hated by those secret oh, orders. Yeah. Have you ever had any like anything that you can talk about, like where where these kind of cult people have uh, come after you, or or uh, Masonic Masonic people? Yeah, lots of. But you know, amazingly, they're a little bit easier to deal with than some elements of the Christian sect. Um, and and I'll and I'll tell you why. I mean, uh, Christians. I mean, they are can be so in their faith and their beliefs and wow. if they disagree with you on an issue they they turn they can turn it into a faith issue and <laughs> there's a little more passion going on there and a little more harder to bring that sort of back down well, let's just keep it to scripture and we can agree to disagree yes. but understand here's my positions and here's everything i can back it up with it's not hard to see the mo of, of freemasons and or Gnostics and or Essenes. I mean, they're all speaking the same language in terms of how they attack with their rhetoric and okay. with their arguments and the questions that they pose. So I generally pick up on it pretty fast. They, they may not on the first question that I ask them, give me an honest answer, but then I'll identify the doctrine that they're talking about, say that's clearly a Gnostic doctrine. And so would you mind just, let's just being upfront. I, I'll tell them, I don't care if you're a Freemason or if you're in a scene or whatever. Um, just let's be honest in terms of 
where you're coming from here. And, and once they understand that you know who they are, they're, they're, they tend to be way less um, passionate and you can have mm. a conversation. They know they're not changing your mind. They're, they're exposed. And you know that they, they know that they can't get you on how they trip up so many other Christians on scripture. And mm. you need to, we need to understand that they understand the Bible very, very well, both right. the old and the new testaments. And they focus right. and are taught how to attack aspects of the bible to oh seek doubt and that's all they're trying to do is seek doubt well because they have the secret knowledge the gnosis they're yes. the ones that they they probably actually do like i listen to Infowars. it's a it's a you know one of my little weaknesses i listen to alex jones way too much sometimes but sometimes he'll slip it out about what these secret cults their knowledge they have the understanding they have the secrets they know about the pre-diluvian era. They know yeah. all this stuff. So there's well, that they have, pride. They have the, yeah, they have a polychronicon, that, uh, and they include the Bible in that and sort of uh, take, yeah, that sort of elite position that we have more knowledge on these things than you. And I've learned things and secrets of the, of the universe that, that you don't know. I did a show that somebody hooked me up with that, you know, again, I, I'll take a show with almost anybody, and I don't care whether or not they're Christian or non-Christian or what. And uh, so I had uh, this show set up between a Facebook friend, and I didn't check them out. And so, you know, at the beginning of the show, you know, they're really quite nice, and they're saying, well, how, you know, <laughs> but you're connected to this fellow that connected us together. And I just said, well, he's a Facebook friend. And he said, based on what I like to talk about, we would do a really good show together. So these two guys are, and I'm picking up pretty fast that um, they're probably Freemasons <laughs> and they're going after certain aspects of the Bible, but they're being quite polite, but they think they're being quite smart. And I'm taking apart their arguments all the way through. This is a two hour show. Okay. I and they're, by the end, they're clearly getting frustrated. And uh, they said, so we have one last question for you. And I said, well, what's that? And they said, well, what would you think about, uh, what would you think or say or do if you were told that you had, you know, were interviewed or just been interviewed by a 32nd degree adept? Well, I oh. said, the first thing that I would say is, is that you can't be a 32nd degree adept because you have to be 33rd degree to be an adept. They said, well, that's not always the case, I said. And then the second thing I would say is either you don't know, you're just trying to you know, create this persona that you're Masonic or you're mm -hmm. pureblood. And there's just this dead silence. <laughs> and, and, and so I said, well, okay, I'll finish this off then. I said, purebloods are initiated from childhood, but they can't take an adept title and degree until a certain age, and you're clearly younger than that. So that would be the only way hmm. that you could call yourself an adept 
32nd degree because you're not old enough to have that title, even though your degree level would be significantly higher than the third degree, which is equivalent to the third, 33rd degree, because that is the pure bloods that were part of the Rosicrucians all the way through childhood by birthright. And they would be higher than five. They'd be, I mean, I don't know how many degrees there are. I've heard as many as nine. Some people say 13. But the purebloods uh, are the ones that control all of these organizational structures. And I said, so you might as well just say you're either lying or you're a pureblood. He says, no, I'm from royal bloodlines. And you're right. Wow. Nice. And then, you know, Owned. after the show, they were kind of joking around and uh, they said, well, would you do another show with us? I said, sure, if you want. I mean, I'll do another show with you. I mean, it's great to, you know, to have this out there and have for me to have their points of view challenged. But the show doesn't get published. And then about oh. three months later, I get this hate message on messenger that's just like this long of foul language and everything that there's no way they're ever going to produce it and this and that i think what happened was is they showed it to their family or whoever they answered to and they basically got uh, you know embarrassed and they're saying there's no way you're talking to this guy again or you're putting that out there because you make us look bad that's so funny. I can just imagine them going to their like evil lord grandpa, you know, fifty million degree Illuminati yep. cult man who's like, What did you do? You interviewed Gary Wayne <laughs> And then all butt hurt, you know, freaking yep. out. And I've talked to Freemasons and they're like you know what's interesting as far as personally meeting lower degree Freemasons? And they were up up front with me. They're like younger, you know, in their late twenties, but not obviously in the gnosis yet and there's like this there's like scales on their eyes regarding aspects of reality and if you mention any of this stuff they're like there's no 33rd degree you're like okay (laughs) and but you talk to them about certain things like hey did you know covid is bioengineered and they're like Michael, you just need to stop reading things on the internet. <laughs> and then they're like, and then, oh, did you know about any of the weird things during nine eleven? They're like, of course, the official story is true. So there's there's like this weird disconnect, yeah. which to well, me, they're they're being brainwashed at the lower levels. They're still considered exactly. inferior and mundane until they're at uh, a depth level. So. Uh, they're being prepared and uh, they're being uh, fed stuff that is still going to serve their purposes and give them the cover uh, with the outer sort of circle of that organization that they can do the things they want to do within the center of the organization. And as they report up the the organizational structures. So yeah, it's frustrating when I'm speaking with a um, non-adept, or communicating on Facebook or an email or whatever, Masonic, um, yes. because they don't know what they don't know yet. Yes, and that's you know so, and you can't you can't really get them to understand that some to a certain degree, but most are are pretty much in in denial. And your time um, is very precious too. And I don't, I mean, you know, if there's if there's anything on on your heart specifically that you really wanted to to jump into at this time. You know, don't let me keep taking you down these different rabbit trails. But specifically regarding this issue, what in in your experience works to reach these kinds of people, or is it just like you got to kind of like leave them and pray for them? <laughs> you know, yeah. You you need to plant seeds with them 
as they're planting seeds of doubt with us. Wow. And so when you plant seeds with them in terms of taking on their argument, turning that around and showing where it's not true and that the people that you prepared you to do this either didn't think that you were ready or smart enough to know the rest of it, or that's as far as their argument can go and you're at a dead end. So it's a matter of just turning that back around on them. You see, that's why it's important to understand what the seven sacred sciences are because rhetoric is one of those sciences that they teach in how they parse our beliefs, our arguments apart. And they're very good at taking things out of context and focusing on a single sentence out of a larger narrative, right? Just as they like to do on the media. That's part of their tactic. That's part of rhetoric. And they're very, very good at those things or getting at things that they are, that they have prepared their initiates for that. Here's their weaknesses. Here's what they're really doubting. And you need to play on those doubts as you make those arguments because that plants the seeds and we need them to accept our brainwashing when we say Jesus didn't die on the cross because we want to fold the ashes of monotheism into the ancient religion just as we accept Jesus as a prophet in there so that we still want them not to throw Jesus away. We just want that people to re-understand the Bible and Jesus as we portray him. And it's a very, very seductive ways and arguments that they go about doing it. And if you don't know scripture well, they'll eat you alive. Wow. So read your Bibles, guys. So um, take, for example, the Pope right now, and I'm, I've, this is one really, we, we've got to do a show about Jesuits. I know you've probably done 50,000 shows about Jesuits, but right now is key because the Pope is, is totally doing this. And I don't know if you yes. noticed the Netflix documentary with um, Anthony Hopkins and mm-hmm. um, what's his name? The, uh, the James Bond villain <laughs> playing the Pope, which is perfect. Um and the 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 sly kind of progression to taking away dismantling the traditional faith before yes. your very eyes and making it look sexy too, yep. like mm-hmm. you know, is that an example? Would you say of I that's mean, preparation? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, they have to get people in a position to accept what they normally wouldn't accept. Okay. And there's going to be a certain percentage of us that aren't going to accept it. Mm-hmm. will be persecuted and with a genocide. So, uh, But they want to keep those numbers down. I mean, they don't care about the Christians that they're going to convert. They're still mundane to them. They still won't inherit their promised millennium because they're mundane. Mm-hmm. But they, they're useful for slavery and um, rituals. So they don't, you know, they want control. They want to bring on the end times. So that, their biggest stumbling block is this big block of Christians in the West that uh, have stood in their way all the way through. And in the last hundred years or so, they have really done a great job with the sciences and, and education to lead people away from God and not give God credit for anything. 
And they've done a real good job in infiltrating the churches with Freemasons and Gnostics to water down doctrine and to get to the seminary schools and not to teach, only teach the doctrine that they want and ignore the other things. And the Jesuits do the same thing in the Roman church and are part of that hierarchical organization that reports up to the Rosicrucians. So they've been working this very, very well in preparation. And now we see more of it. And of course, you have a Jesuit Pope today who is the Black Pope, uh, which is the Nostradamus Rosicrucian prophecy of a Black Pope, uh, not black-skinned, but black as in a Jesuit leader leading um, the church. And the Roman church is the avenue that the Templars had envisioned to utilize to bring on the new Babel. And it's right in their charter of, of, of doctrines uh, written down by Master Ronsolet, who was a Cathar, by the way. <laughs> That's why perfecti and so many terms are interchangeable uh, in Templar writings and with, with the Cathars. And, of course, we're, and, you know, they're basically part of the same Cistercian religion, which, you know, St. Bernard was, who wrote the, the charter for... Uh, the Roman Catholic order and uh, promoted them with the Pope to, to get them established as an order within the Roman church. So we need to understand that um, this new Templar order in the Catholic church is the, is the Jesuits. And they were planned right from the fall of the Templars to put the new Templars as they like to refer the Jesuits to into the church. And we won't do go too far down the road here on, on, on the Jesuits, but, and so Agnatius of Loyola is going to be sponsored by Royal um, bloodline orders like the Montessa order that a fellow by the name of Borgia, who is a descendant of the Borgia black nobility of popes, in the Roman church uh, is going to fund Ignatius. And by 1570, he actually becomes the third leader of the Jesuit order and fully converts it into the organization that they want. Complete with Ignatius being um, one who is, is led to create this order through visions of Mary, which fits in perfectly with their belief system. Man, it's like checkmate all across the board. You know, Gary, God better be real. Otherwise, we're screwed. These people are really clever. And most of the Christians I know, they're just like picking their nose. You know, they don't have any clue unless they listen to you or the the fringe radio network. Um, Okay, so we're we're in a lot of trouble here. So (laughs) I guess we can say that uh, the world is, is definitely being, you know, led down this road of deception through these different Gnostic philosophies that have like i mean listening to you recently i've been i've been binge listening to you to to have some up-to-date questions it's like there's so many masks that they wear there's so many different religions that they disguise themselves in um have you heard of the urantia sect the urantia cult thing i've heard of them i've not done any research on them see and this is the big question i want to ask you too is we're getting into so much knowledge, so much gnosis, you know, you're, you're bringing this stuff out. That's, it's incredible. And Christians usually don't even go here unless they listen to Michael Heiser or someone else. But 
it, how can we utilize this knowledge? And you know, it's not all in the Bible. Like you're letting in your book, you're reading, you're researching all these religions and letting the religions speak for themselves, as you say. Yes. Um, how is this valuable to the modern day spiritual warfare? You know, Christian in this battle. Like, is it does it is it draining to look into this kind of this sea of of information is there a point where you know it, it's i mean how is it useful to us to know about this yeah. stuff it, it, it's very very useful because i think we have an obligation to help other christians and to lead christians that maybe you know have left or are in doubt to back and take doubt away and to by role modeling and what we do and how we approach things to plant seeds with people to hear the calling to come back, to come to God in the first place. And so I, I'm always trying to plant seeds and I know I can't convince people in, 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 in any one session most of the time, but if I can plant enough seeds for them as they start to look around in the world today or look back into history or look into entertainment or look into prophecy or look into organizations, they might start to remember some of the things that I said right. in preparation and part of saying, here's where it's leading to. And when you see more of that, prepare yourself because even the elect are going to be deceived if that were possible. Exactly. And Jesus clearly says they will be deceived. It's all coming down. All of it. I would say 2020 looks more like Matthew 24 than anything. You know, the birth pangs, the, we had almost world war three, Iran, you know, nobody's talking about that anymore. You know, they're trying to take out the, the president of, of a duly elected president. I mean, Gosh, these people, they will stop at nothing. And now this coronavirus thing, I mean, what do you see yes. as the next possible move? Because you study the enemy so well. Mm -hmm. And I love how you're always bringing things back to the gospel. So I never feel drained after listening to you for even for like six or seven hours in a day. <laughs> I feel energized, like, oh, I want to research that, I want to research that. So you understand the enemy. What do you see them pulling next? Is it going to be the alien card? Is it going to be another disease What or a war or in your mind? Yeah. So this, you know, whether or not this is a contrived or a created disease or it's a natural thing, I mean, they're going to take advantage of any catastrophe that happens. And okay. as we talked about, that's what moves things along, which is why with these false prophets that are going to come along, we have to be very, very aware of these disasters. Are they uh, created? I mean, you know, did somebody create this virus and let it loose? Or is that a natural, you know, evolution of, of the coronavirus and we just don't have any immunity to it? But it takes these things to uh, implement things to move them along. And they've had setbacks. You know, they were moving along very nicely since the economic collapse of 2008. And things were really moving yes. around with the... Uh, the trading blocks and spheres of influence and people playing ball. And then Putin starts not to play ball and the G pen is not playing ball. And then Trump comes along and there's Brexit. They're getting all of these setbacks. And so I was asked a number of times um, when some of this stuff was going on, I said, well, if it's not moving along 
the way they want it to move along. They'll create a disaster or an event that will push things because they're ruthless. Then they don't understand the thing that they're pushing against isn't really in their control. So they can set up a platform all they want. They can be ready all they want. But until the restrainer is removed, you can't have the last seven years. And so they'll continue to set things up. So we'll get closer and closer and closer, but they'll be just, you know, be like, uh, they'll will be for a while. And even though it's painful for us and painful to watch and be part of, they'll be like Charlie Brown and Lucy with the football. (laughs) It just won't happen for them. And then all of a sudden it will, but all that means is the catastrophes will get stronger. Right to try and bring it about. Their reactions will become stronger. So if they don't get what they want out of this transnational, transborder disaster to rewrite laws and rules of the world and governance of the world to move it along, they'll create another disaster. So it'll be, I don't think it's a war with, with Iran because Iran's going to be part of that GOG alliance. But look, I mean, uh, They'll be sacrificial lambs like North Korea, right? And so if there's a nuclear disaster there that they brought about, then that will really drive the agenda and into the arms of the globalists. Speaking of being driven into the arms of the globalists, uh, Tim Parrish of the Let's Get Jacked Up show, which will be live after us today on the Fringe Radio Network, asks uh, Gary... Do you think that at the end of this virus, will America continue to have physical money? Or will we go into digital currency? That's a good question. Well, that would be what they're trying to set up, obviously, right now. One of the things that they're going to try and change. And uh, it's interesting, again, you know, listening to uh, Governor Cuomo saying, was it today or yesterday, this is transformative in ways um, you can't imagine. And we're never going back. So what they're going to be implementing um, is going to change. It'll be like nine, a 9-11 event as well, right? Where right. It's one of those things where you just don't go back. And so cash is a problem. They need to get rid of cash. Now, they may be premature and they may not quite get there, but they're going to take, take cash to the sidelines for sure and only uh, relegated to what they'll say are the criminals and the people we need to watch very, very closely for persecution down the road. Um, At this point, we don't know when cash leaves and then we don't know when cash leaves and then what the distance is to the mark system. So it won't be all at once. I think it'll come in steps. So, uh, but I think cash is uh, definitely going to be reduced significantly because it's, they'll say it spreads disease and we can't afford to have that. And that's one of the, and it's redundant. They're going to say, why do we need it? Well, I, I mean, it's kind of ironic, but I just bought your book um, not long ago. I, I have it on Kindle now and I use my credit card, my cashless <laughs> little beast chip to buy Gary Wayne's Genesis 6 conspiracy. So you guys want to get it on Kindle. There's uses for having a credit card, but it's like, if you can't have cash, I just came from Taiwan. I moved uh, to Hawaii about a year and a half ago, um, right before we last talked. And 
I'll tell you, everybody in Taiwan uses cash. Like credit cards are just like it's like what? Why would you? Every, even your salary, you know, you work at a, some English school or whatever. Here's here's three thousand dollars cash. <laughs> you know, it's so I don't think they've quite got Asia. You know, figured no, out. No, they yet. don't. But that's <laughs> no, they don't. And the reason why, and you know, in my past business, I, I traveled a lot through China. Oh, they, really? They do business almost 100% within China in cash because they don't trust each other. And literally, right. if you don't get cash up front, it's considered a gift. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Wow. So there's parts of the world that, you know, are going to be a little bit more difficult to, to, to bring along. And that's another show, too, is the Asian religions. Um, I've yes. lived in Japan. I speak Japanese, Chinese pretty good. I mean, I took my bachelor's is in Chinese everything, history, culture, philosophy. And so I got to go a little, I got to Persi on down some of those religions. And I have Taiwanese parents with all the gods in their main living room and telling me about which Buddha they want to go and live with when they die. And I'm just like, I've told you the gospel so many times. I'm a failure as a missionary. But at the same time, there's aspects of their religions that, um, and I'd love to pick your brain about the figurists. If you've ever done any research into that to kind of bring like Chinese original culture to the Christian God of the Bible, like a pre, uh, pre Abrahamic, um, god but or or, or a, a faith in god but um we we've got to talk about their their religions like i would love i know you've talked a lot about the dragon bloodlines and um mm -hmm. is if if you wouldn't mind just kind of what do you see having been to china that's great that you mm -hmm. went what do you see when you meet those people do you feel like this is your typical you know pagan you know they need to repent of every or do you see anything in their culture in their in their sort of religion even or their philosophy that would be redeemable well the first thing is that so much of the chinese people you know outside of you know tibet and certain areas they had religion driven out of them with the communists and so um they had and they also have a revisionist history provided to them by the communists and so they don't have that sort of great sort of pagan memory, but that just makes them more open to accept anything. And they were quite curious about Christians. And of course, in Chinese, in China, there's also a huge underground Christian movement, and they have to be literally in caves and underground. Otherwise, right. they get put into concentration camps. There. And Bibles are all uh, edited by the Communist Party. And so the ones that you see in a Christian church in Beijing or in Shanghai, for example, um, you know, won't be the complete uh, Bible and it'll be uh, edited out in, in sort of a communist image because they're the central sort of God type of thing as it's so. Um, but there's still a lot of history with all the different temples and things that, you know, that, you know, they, they uh, like to learn about Confucius, um, for example. Um, but I don't see I don't see them as a, a significantly religious uh, nation. But I think it's it, with the more communication, we're seeing more of it. But it'll be very widely, um, I think, uh, separated and, and and divided up. 
But I would also expect, though, that there will be a renaissance of their old religions that will come back into play. So which was Taoism, which people would know as Taoism today, I think, or Confucianism, and they're kind of splinter groups of the same same religion. Uh, I think you'll see a resurgence in that because that sort of goes to their national pride and their national history, right? Just as right. what you would have seen in Japan. So I think you're going to see a resurgence okay. of that. But it, it wasn't there when I was traveling in, in any significant way. So, Well, do visit Taiwan if you have the chance. It's it's a living, breathing Chinese mess yes. of culture yes. and religion. <laughs> yes, and I have, I've been uh, to Taiwan and Kaohsiung oh. and... Oh, really? Some other oh, places in, in, in Taiwan as well. Yeah. Well, um, so getting back to this Gnostic infiltration of the world, um, and I, the, the university I went to is in Japan, actually. I studied uh, Japanese under some pretty smart Jesuits just for about a year. Um, thanks to my father, who's a classical violinist who taught at University of Miami, I had this kind of free trip free trip to Japan for a year to, to study one of their top schools, Sophia University. And now one of the <laughs> things I noticed about these guys is that there's always like a, there's a really good Christian Jesuit who's just sort of humbly doing his work and mm-hmm. writing books and preaches the gospel. And, and he's like, you can tell he's a real Christian, but then there's like the weird ones around them <laughs> that are definitely not, you know, you kind of get this like, watch out for that guy you know um what is that like is there is there a sense in which when we're seeing the gnostic people cults kind of infiltrate society that they will use they'll have someone that's really genuinely thinks they're serving god and is genuine at the front and then to kind of sneak in with all their other stuff have you have you run into that at all all of those secret societies are set up the same way so you got this inner core the adept level and then you've got all of these uh, ones underneath that are, you know, there to practice the superficial part. And in this case, it'd be a Christian part. But at the uh, adept level or at the leadership level uh, of the Jesuits, uh, these are highly educated into the liberal arts right. um, and into the secret doctrines. And uh, so there, you'll see that just more from what position that they hold than anything. Okay. I guess I would probably put it that way. You know, just it'd be, you know, and again, it comes from the Templars. So at the, at the uh, grand master level and at the, at that level who ran the orders, they knew all of the secrets, what their religion was, what their beliefs were. And all the lower level ones were just priests uh, in in the order and the foot soldiers who you know didn't didn't get the horses. Yes, <laughs> it's very it's it's exciting to see them as an army. Like to see, and our show Spirit Wars, we're kind of we have that vision. Like, well, we're in a war. You know, it's a war of information. It's a spiritual war, and like you said, they hate Western civilization for some reason. Christian. Judeo-Christian, they just, they, ah, you know, what is that? Why do they want this whore Babylon system so bad? <laughs> what exactly <laughs> are they after? <laughs> they want uh, freedom. Ooh. Okay. okay. And, but freedom as they define it. Freedom from the Christian religion 
freedom from the Jewish religion, freedom from the Christian God, freedom from the Jewish God, freedom from the God of the Bible. They want to have their own realm on their own, away from God, to be governed by the rebellious angels who fight for their good and do not keep them in ignorance and in darkness. Mm. And so they're deceived wow. by the rebellious angels or the gods, as they would call them. And the angels know, at least since the resurrection and after Jesus spoke to them, which where I think he went and talked to them, uh, the ones in the abyss anyways, that their rebellion was basically over. Uh, and at the end of this age, they're going to go to the lake of fire. And so after that, I will just maybe back up a point because I always forget to sort of double tap or underscore this point is that the angels didn't anticipate the resurrection. Otherwise, they wouldn't have crucified them, as Corinthian talks about. And so they thought they had humankind going off into the abyss and being destroyed. They didn't anticipate Jesus resurrecting and adopting us through the resurrection, starting in the end times, that we're going to be raised up to be like angels and actually to judge angels in the future time. And they're not going to get their own realm, which is what Lucifer, as he's called in the King James Bible, I like to use Hallel or Satan. Uh, Hallel is the Hebrew word that Lucifer is an Italian word that's thrown in for uh, a Hebrew word into the English language. Also the God of the Freemasons, also known as the great architect of the universe. Um, so uh, I got off on, on a tangent there. Hail, and I kind of forgot what. Hail L. That's the name yeah, that like, the original Hebrew word for Lucifer. is. That, is yeah, that that's the word that is. And it's interesting. It ends in E-L. That's spelled um, H-E-Y-L. E-L, and all angels' names end in E-L, whether it's Michael or Gabriel or Azazel. Uh, this is Hail L. Um, and, uh, you know, other English translations say Daystar, but the word is Hail L. The uh, architect so, of the universe. Yeah, the great architect of, of, of the universe. Yeah. What a total, for lack of a more Christian word, total prick. <laughs> total, uh, <laughs> what a total, like, uh, proud thing to yeah. call yourself <laughs> you know but the thing is he knows he's just tricking everybody including the fallen angels so yeah so but these angels though even though they now know since the resurrection they are not going to get their own realm all they can do is deceive and continue to deceive and destroy as many humans as possible so we don't reach our destiny. And I say destiny because we have a choice to make. We either choose to want the destiny or we don't. Everybody has free choice. Even the angels have free choice. And so they tell humans and their human hybrid offspring that they can actually win the war with their help against God and his angels and against Christians and all who follow God which isn't true, but they say they can win and we can have the earth as our place. That's a separate realm that Satan, who is already the God of, can rule over, but free of the oversight and restrictions that God puts on Satan 
uh, in the meantime. And that's what they're looking for. So when you see that movie, Dr. Strange, as I recall, um, and you have this evil, dark force that controls everything in the universe, that's their allegory for the God of the Bible. And oh, wow. they are rebelling using science and this sort of polytheist religion and magic and portals and everything else for what? To keep through a treaty the earth separate from everything else in the universe that they can live um, and not be oversaw, overseen and governed by this evil god of everything outside that's you know regarded as this big dark force. That is so interesting. Likewise, um, have you noticed with Star Wars as well, like they have a kind of an upside down, like the Empire is actually God's kingdom and Darth Vader is actually Jesus. If you Have you yeah. seen that? Noticed any of those? Oh, of the, 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 the amount of allegories that are put into the Star Wars version of, uh, of, and a great storytelling and great movie making is absolutely astonishing. You know, I mean, just so many different things in there. I mean, you have this Eastern religion at the heart of the Jedi, right? And it's that uh, bloodline and uh, something that they call Chlorians, which is that genetic trait or bloodline of where the, the force continues with, right? And you have the Jedi, which goes back to the Dijin or the Jinn of the Quran. And in the Quran, there's two levels of the Jinn. One is the angels, which are, you know, made from the smokeless fire. And then you have the demigod ones, which is essentially Nephilim, as I would understand them. And things like that are always encoded like you know obi ben kenobi so you have uh and i'm gonna search my memory here uh you know ben is son so son of kenobi right and obi uh is hebrew 184 mumbler and necromancer <laughs> and he's a jedi right and so all of these things are worked in. So you have Anakim Skywalker, right? And that's very close to the Anak, or as you take that back to Hebrew, not Anakite, but Anakim, which is a people. And then Luke Skywalker is taken from Loki Skywalker out of the North mythology. And literally, Loki is called Skywalker. Um so you have uh, all of these different things. You have the cis in there and you have this good versus evil, which is this continual dualism, which is, you know, yin and yang, um, perpetual um, opposition of each other where no one ever really gets the upper hand. Right. And that's the classic Gnostic religion and dualism. And right. every layer, every name, everything that's in there is encoded with occultism so when we talked about writings and entertainment before and you're talking about that fellow was talking about hg wells they have these rosicrucian literary societies set up to educate the writers to encode all of this and mm. so the most famous one might be uh the spear shaker society 
bacon setup or the the knights of the helmet and of course spear shaker is the name um that shakespeare's name is very closely related to and was a member of and bacon was developing the english language and then of course you have shakespeare which is nothing but occult genealogies in history so all of these people that are being written about are the different bloodlines and important individuals in those bloodlines throughout histories. And in Midsummer's Night Dream, you get, you know, things like fairies and Oberon and uh, Titania and just on and on and on. So that was sort of the, the modern wedge of the modern society of uh, writers. But you have all of the classics, whether it's Homer and uh, Ovidies and all they're writing the same type of history with the same mm. occultism and this is restarted with Bacon who is also the inspirational founder to the Royal Society this painting hangs in the lobby as you enter that today and that's the parent of modern science and modern education today that everybody still pays homage to mm. and when we talk about H.G. Wells and those kinds of writers you know throw in their Tolkien and C.S. Lewis Oh no! Don't were, don't hurt my Tolkien and my C.S. Lewis. Oh no! I've, I have a six-part series for people on this, including their bloodlines. <laughs> fantastic! Um, I want to listen to yeah. that again. That is, and they're awesome. part of this Rosicrucian, <laughs> inkling society, yeah. developing their craft together with other Rosicrucians and people writing the same type of, of literature that's filled with the occult mm. and occult history and occult genealogies. And everybody says, but there's no links to secret societies. And they're in university. So the first clue is, is how could they be part of a Rosicrucian society when they're not part of the Masons and they're not an adept level? Because you need to be an adept if you're going to be in one of these uh, Rosicrucian societies. And uh, the Inklings were sponsored by the Golden Dawn, if everybody was wondering who that sponsoring society oh, was wow. for them at that time. Yeah, Alistair Crowley that you were mentioning earlier. Uh, and, and it's a great six-part series. If people, you know, want to have their world blown up, get a hold of me. I'll send you that information on Lewis and Tolkien. I mean, and that's well, not to say that they there were, isn't any They virtue. were part of the bloodlines. So that's why I give right. the documentation for their families and the bloodlines. So they were initiated from childhood. Hmm. They didn't have to go through the Masonic organization to be part of the Inkling Society okay. at Oxford. Okay. I mean, and that, that's not to say that there isn't a, a great amount of virtue in those stories that you can take for good. Again, even Star Wars, you know, there's great storytelling, there's great morals in a lot of the good versus evil. And, you know, Veda was seduced by the dark yes. side of the force, you know, and that's a great allegory for people that I know that have throughout my years around the world doing mission adventures. I've seen people get seduced by the dark side and literally become murderers or suicidal or commit horrible crimes. And so we're in this huge, huge epic war. And that's where, I mean, you're, you're too young to be called Gandalf, Gary, but um, we, we often call <laughs> Michael Heiser and some of the other guys like Gandalf. And you're, you're just a resource of so much piles and piles of old scrolls and magic books and, you know, and secrets about so-and-so and this and that. And you're just yeah. like, oh, my gosh. Like, where does one go to really get the pure living waters, though, of God? I guess yeah. we can't just drink from C.S. Lewis like we thought. 
No, I mean we're we're immersed in in this world that is you know corrupted. So yes. it's, it's very 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 difficult. And and you're absolutely one hundred percent correct. I am not ridiculing the quality of their storytelling or writing. I mean they're terrific mm-hmm. writers, storytellers. Shakespeare's terrific writings. Um, all I'm saying is that they brainwash people. Mm. And prepare them. I mean, I mean, you look at what Lewis talks about, you know, with satires and uh, the worst one is Aslan, which is an incarnation of the Christ consciousness aspect of their belief system. And he's a lion character. And if you understand a little bit about Vedic and Indian religions, you'll, you'll know there's a God Shiva and there's a God Vishnu. And they like to incarnate into people so that Buddha would be one of the incarnations of Vishnu. Just an antichrist will be the new Buddha or Lord Maitreya. Mm. Expect he's going to be in an incarnation and likely Azazel, who is a bad, who will. Um, and I've got a great document on connecting all that. This is a, a long rabbit hole, but I can connect Azazel to the son of perdition to antichrist and utilizing that mortal head wound to fake the counterfeit resurrection, he's probably going to be the one who avatars and makes Antichrist an avatar. Now, connecting that back to Aslan and that whole Christ consciousness concept that they're going to use for Antichrist, which is new age language, as you know, you have a God in the Indian, um, not a God, but more of a demigod, uh, that is called Narashima. And Narashima has an incarnation of Shiva. And Shiva is the destroyer, just as Abaddon and Apollyon is, is the destroyer coming out of Greek and Hebrew for uh, the king of the abyss that is released in Revelation 9. Narashima, if you Google that, is a lion god. He looks like a lion. And this is who Lewis bases Christ's consciousness on, a lion god who has the incarnation of Shiva, who is the equivalent god, Azazel and Abaddon, who is likely going to avatar Antichrist in the end time. And they even got Liam Neeson to do the voice of Aslan, too. You will give me my religion back, or I will have to find you, and I will kill you. Anyway, the, um, uh, the idea of all these fallen angels, Azazel and... You know, did you hear that there was actually found in the Sea of Galilee a heap of stones that are so old, they must have been made before there was a Sea of Galilee, so possibly pre-flood, and that that possibly could be where Azazel has been uh, buried, if there is such a thing that happened. Um, some interesting research, I don't, I don't want to lead to too many tangents, but people can look that up. As Enoch talks about, you know, Azazel was placed under a heap of stones, boulders too big to lift, and they found a heap of stones that is obviously like an old kind of shoddily put together mound um, under the sea there. So hopefully they won't um, lift those stones. (laughs) The beast that comes from the sea, you know, we might actually see Azazel show up like that at some point. Um, You were speaking of the, the, the constrainer. You know, I mean, why don't we see the Antichrist show up tomorrow or the beast system has been instigated? You know, they want to do this. They're telling us through movies, through 
books, thousands of years. I mean, people stuffing stuff in Shakespeare, Homer, an Odyssey, and Iliad. What what is this constrainer? This restrainer or constrainer? What is that? Do you think there is there like an angel or is there a a force or? Like I would a, nail. I would. Um narrow that down to two possibilities. Okay. Um, and I always thought up till, you know, say 10 years or so ago that it would probably be a restrainer or the constrainer is likely the Holy Spirit is what I originally thought. Okay. And that's because Jesus said, when I go back to my father, then I'll send someone else. And that was the Holy Spirit that showed up and gives us all of these gifts and they're still with us to this day. Okay. And so I thought, you know, in the end time, and let's say in the last seven years that, you know, the Holy Spirit might just go back to heaven. And that made a whole lot of sense to me. But, you know, as I dug into more of this Michael guy <laughs> that shows up in the Bible, mm. he is a very interesting individual. And he's the one who fights for his people. He's the one who stands up oh. in Revelation 12 and Daniel 12. Right. And he's the one who fights against the beast empires. And that when, and he, you know, literally says, you know, I'm fighting against Persia now, and soon I'll go off to fight against Greece. Mm. And so he's the one who seems to be holding off the, uh, you know, beast empires from getting too much control all of the time. And, uh, and, and making sure that God's people and God's followers aren't wiped from the face of the earth. So the more I've gone along, I lean more towards Michael. I never thought of that. So currently he must be doing battle with like, um, I don't know, the toes kingdoms or the, the feet as the Daniel chapter two prophecy yes. says. So he must have fought Ooh. Persia, Greece, Rome, and now he's got a lot of targets, I bet. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, you know where he would have been holding those empires from gaining total control over the world. He's been trying to stop the rise of the old Roman Empire for, you know, 1600 years. Wow. So Michael, the archangel, probably a big likely candidate for the restrainer. I'm glad I asked you that question. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's why he's the one who, you know, who stands up and fights against the angels in, in revelation 12. So all of that makes more sense to me, but I'm open to both. Okay. All right. Well, do you think that you're going to see this seven year period in this coming decade as, um, as you spoke, the, uh, the generations of a man being 80 years and it's, it's getting to about 80 years since the establishment of Israel. Do you agree with yeah. that idea that uh, we might actually see this B system rise? Yeah, as, and I would say I like to use uh, Jerusalem as opposed to the state of Israel because of so much oh, centers around yeah. Jerusalem. So 67 right. and 47. Nonetheless, I think um, I, I kind of agree with your point that I think we're probably dealing with more 70 years than 120 years. And I think that in the next decade, we're going to see things come together because if it's 70 years, that um, if you're using 1947, that starts in 1917 and 70 years on 67 is 2037. So even that sort of opens up a window and, you know, obviously making the assumption that one of those two are is what sets that last fig tree generation up. 
Okay. So uh, I lean more towards Jerusalem. I lean more towards in the 2030s is, is when the seven years are going to take place. But okay. uh, it could be sooner. And we don't know the exact time or hour, but there's still things, as we've talked about, more things to be put together. And I, I would rec- recommend the audience also don't uh, – it's it's kind of like drinking like 10 cups of coffee before you have a marathon to run tomorrow, you know, and you are you should get a good night's rest. You should pray, meditate, read Genesis 6 Conspiracy, you know, sit down, read a book, imagine that. It's going to take you – I'm already like my neurons are just like exploding in like a million <laughs> galaxies right now. It's like an episode of Rick and Morty. But there's so much more to you. Just you'll say, a, you'll bring out one point, and it just like it could trail off Opens in like eight so million yeah. different dimensions, yeah. almost like star hopping or something. Uh, Johnny Iron is listening from the the Iron Show, and he said that uh, Luke Skywalker was originally going to be called Skyrider, and they changed it at the last minute. Oh, I didn't know about that. Um, but the allegory of Star Wars is so. It's so it fits so well, you know, info wars. And I've been thinking the spiritual warfare. My grandfather, Don Basham, wrote books about deliverance and wrote many books about spiritual warfare. So we we call this show Spirit Wars to kind of honor our our ancestors a little bit. And but it's so real. The warfare is so um, vivid and you just got to I mean, what do we do? We got to like rest in the Lord and when you're in that rest, then you can finally sit down and I'm going to go to the park and just enjoy finishing yeah. Genesis six conspiracy with yeah. a notebook. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and also with an eye on what these things mean for prophecy, because then, and, and I'll speak specifically within the Bible, but you can sort of match up some of the other things outside the Bible, as long as you're measuring against the Bible. Okay. But for me to understand prophecy, well, in in more detail you need to understand prehistory because so much of what is said in prophecies defined in prehistory so you need to understand that so if you're talking about a beast empire you need to understand what beasts were all about in 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 prehistory and what kind of beasts are being talked about and typically we're talking about things like dragons and serpent type uh, individuals. And that's why the the, uh, the uh, beast that comes out of the sea is a dragon hydra. Mm. Wow. <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> Excuse me. You made me ch- choke on my own spit, Gary. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now, let's say I know someone who, when they were a little girl, met a, a, a little person, um, a fairy, mm-hmm. physically met this entity. Uh, by a well, which is located in a place where there's a, an aquifer, so perhaps a portal or something like that. Now, mm-hmm. do I need to tell that person that they've definitely encountered some kind of a demonic thing that they need to, you know, repent? Or is there a possibility that something like that could be just from another world? Like, we just don't understand everything about that. How How do you look as far as, like, when you see something that you don't understand, like, perhaps an alien shows up i mean do you just you know take your bible and just chuck it at that thing right in the head <laughs> or do you kind of like give it some time to uh what what, do you, what would you think about about that and i i asking for a friend <laughs> yeah so i think there's enough 
evidence going on that there's something to whether or not it's fairies and it's and they're aliens and i also think they're likely connected so again we don't get a lot of detail uh in the bible on prehistory we get some but it's a little bit stingy yes i agree but what we do know is that the whole world was corrupted before the flood. And I think there was a second incursion. And I think that type, those kinds of corruptions were done again after the flood, which includes the creation of the Raphaim giants after the flood. I'm a second incursion fan, although open to survival somehow, some way, uh, because we're not exactly, we don't get a smoking gun verse like we do in Genesis 6 after. We only get okay. in Genesis 6 that the sons of God came to the daughters of men and then again afterwards. We don't know when afterwards. It could mean, you know, again, after, let's say, from Mount Hermon before the flood, or it could mean after the flood, or it could mean both. Okay. So I don't want to be too dogmatic on how they crossed the flood. Um and I cover a lot of uh, those accounts, uh, you know, in, in, in my book, but I fall for second incursion. And there's so much history about these other types of Nephilim kinds of beings that I would call as a greater Nephilim concept before the flood. Uh, the creations in similar manners from the gods of the little people in the chimeras and the centaurs, on and on and on, that that suggests that maybe that went on with the technology. Some of them were likely like the chimera even created with DNA manipulation. And we're just getting to that level of technology that they would have had before the flood. So if giants were created again after the flood, then why couldn't other violations against the laws of creation have been repeated after the flood? Albeit those angels would have gone to the abyss as well after the flood okay and that also may be the key as to one of the reasons why jesus is pointing us in uh, the gospels to look at the days of noah and those words are quite specific even though that comes out of greek and the old testament comes out of hebrew the days of noah are the exact words to describe noah's lifetime in genesis 9 29 as i recall where the days of noah were 600 years before the flood and 350 years after the flood which obviously takes you beyond babel after the flood and so we need to understand both of those periods to understand the overarching uh sign of the end times with the days of noah it's more than just violence and not expecting the the flood to come or the end time to come and being led away from god when genesis talks about the whole earth being corrupted that's the hebrew word and that means more than just violence Mm -hmm. and and partying and things like that it means the whole world was decayed ruined degraded and i think that means the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom okay so both through dna and genome manipulation and through uh, copulation so Mm. all sorts and manners and that i think that's one of the reasons why god calls the animals to the ark more than just for the practicability part because the whole earth was corrupted and he knew the animals 
that weren't corrupted that could represent the species or the kind as kind as understood as that comes out of Hebrew as a species to repopulate the earth after the flood. Okay. Okay. And and you do take into account the book of Enoch in, in all this too. I want to mm-hmm. remind everybody that there is a lot of smoking gun evidence in the book of Enoch. Yes. But you know, that further details Genesis six and, Obviously, there's just like a, just a thousand extra biblical books and texts. Would you recommend any of those, by the way? I've gone down the rabbit trail with some of those, and there's just all these random books that you find out that claim to be Christian. And then some of them are like, uh, you know, what do you think of, the, the, uh, of those? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're great for reading, and um, they can provide some contextual um, context for you. But measure everything in them against what the Bible says. And don't okay. get deceived by them because they're they're quite seductive. First, Enoch would be the only one that I would recommend. Okay. And there's another set of books that I would suggest as well. Apocryphal as well. But okay. they are the Apocrypha of the original King James Version Bible that was taken out um, almost a couple hundred years ago now. And, you know, that's going to include the Book of Wisdom, uh, Baruch, Tobit, uh, the Maccabees, First uh, and Second Ezra, great prophetic reading in there. They, I mean, they, they, they're apocrypha because they may not have a, uh, a writer that they can take it back to, or okay. they don't have a complete Hebrew manuscript. Just as with First Enoch, we don't have a complete Hebrew manuscript. And there are some corruptions, but they could have been corrupted by the translators or down the line. And there's so few corruptions in 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 First Enoch um, that I like it. But I have to be honest that there's things like when it talks about the arcs, the angels building the ark. That's not correct okay. according to the Bible. Things like. Yeah. Uh, Enoch being 500 years old and in another area, 550 Oops. years old. Oops. Yeah, that's not right. And so typically the first Enoch, uh, first translation was done out of Giez, which was translated from Greek by a fellow by the name of Alexander Bruce. Okay. Who was a Gnostic and a Freemason. Oh, so fine. it's not un- it's not unusual for them to put their markers in the books Mm. just as i might suggest lucifer might be one of those markers in the king james version bible this this brings another question to me i'm so glad to be able to to finally talk with you again there's so many things that i've been needing to ask you but when i was going down the um rabbit trail starting out as a fringe listener you know coming out of children of god and i mean enough about me but basically the the idea that there were other books that the Bible um, even refers to the book of Jasher, but then, you know, you find out book of Jasher is kind of overly corrupted too. Well, that's um, not, that's not the the book of Jasher. In fact, right. I refuse to use, I don't even reference Jasher yeah. in my book. I just go Good. straight to the Hebrew legends because, okay. and again, I, I got a great document on the book of Jasher on why, <laughs> It's, it's, I mean, it doesn't even include the verse that is talked about in the Bible where it references Yasher. So the it's not in there. biblical <laughs> book of Yasher is, we lost, lost. it. Lost. Okay. Darn yeah. It. Yeah. And I, I have another document for people on uh, the 70 scroll Hag, 
hagiography, hagraphia that was lost. Um, so we don't have all of the original scriptures that um, the Jewish people had, or maybe even before that. So, you know, there's books like, you know, the Toledoth of Adam and other books that, you know, just don't have, or they were merged into the Genesis account. Okay. But the Genesis account was dictated, you know, to uh, to Moses. So how does the Toledoth of Adam, for example, uh, fit into that? You know, we really don't know. But I think it's safe to say not all of them, and Yasher being the classic example mm -hmm. of one that would not have survived down through the ages. Okay. And at least, the, you sense. know, with Enoch, where it has the reference in the book of Jude, it quotes it exactly as it is written in the book of Enoch. Now, what I'm getting, like from seeing, uh, for example, a gospel of Judas, ooh, what could possibly be wrong with that? You know, there's books, there's Gnostic texts that are just harmful. Um, yeah. And then there seems to be a lot of legend, a lot of almost like fiction that's very imaginative. That seems harmless to me, like the yeah. book of, um, I don't know, the Maccabees. What is that book of the bees or the uh, Maccabees? Not Maccabees. Um, not the Apocrypha. The one like the really, really wild ones, like the Cave of Treasures. Did you ever... Look no, at that not one. familiar with that one. I've read a lot, but weird. Yeah. It's so yeah. it's like Adam and Eve like yeah. leave the garden and then they keep getting seduced by Satan and then they commit yeah. suicide and God brings them. it's like all this random weird yeah. stuff. Um but to me it doesn't seem anti-biblical except there's no way that that could actually be biblical. Well, <laughs> you know? the trouble with a lot of those those books is that they're written by gnostics or sister religions to gnosticism. Okay. And they provide, again, some context and things, but then they stray away from biblical doctrine or the biblical story somehow, some way. And that's okay. where you have to be careful with it. So my advice for people, and, and the book of Judah is just an awful book. Um, I wouldn't. <laughs> it's like but, the gospel of Satan or something. <laughs> yeah, it pretty much is. And. But I, what I would say to people, though, is you need to be very, very strong in Scripture to yes. go reading into those books because they can be very, very seductive. Okay. The the Apocryphon of John. We have a question coming in about uh, Apocryphon of John. Is that um, in the category of like a harmful Gnostic text or could that be considered more of like a imaginative maybe gray area? Yeah, it, it strays. It strays, you know. Okay. Okay, that's all. <laughs> that's that. yeah. You know, um, it's not one, you know, I, you know, I, I quote, I think I quoted them a few times in my book. I mean, there are, you know, I, I tried to go to the books like, you know, the, the tablets of Seth and things like that, uh, that would really, um, if somebody were to go look up the book and read it, they would get it. Okay, there's no doubt that this is. Uh, a Gnostic book and it's not okay. scriptural, right? As opposed to ones that, you know, you really got to read it thoroughly and completely mm. to know where the differences are. So, okay. I mean, there's different, as you say, noted, kind of different levels of how bad they can be. But understand, <laughs> uh, you know, the Gnostics uh, don't uh, look at uh, Jesus the same way that we look at Jesus. Yes. And they don't look at Adam the same way we look at Adam. Or, or Noah. I mean, they have their own, and they're putting that into those those narratives all the way through. 
that, that there are so many golden keys that you're um, laying out here, Gary, and I appreciate um, your time. We still have a little bit more time uh, before the next show is, is going live on the Fringe Radio Network. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. But um, And if there's any other questions, please send them in because this is, this is your chance. Now, as far as um, you talk about sowing seeds and, and what we can do really practically when – because I'm – everywhere I go, I meet Freemasons now. Like it's – America is crawling with Freemasons. <laughs> so sowing seeds, so that's good. Now, what do you think about um, the keys of the kingdom? Because I've met some mystic Christians here and there that are all into these keys of the kingdom and utilizing them in your prayer life. And and I, I think that's that's really cool. Um but what do, you, what do we know about the – in your research, what do the keys actually represent, you know, where um, Jesus gives the keys to the, to the church? And do you have any, any data about that that we could maybe um, share with our audience? Well, the first thing is do not get caught up in the occult version of what the keys are because that's the higher degrees and the knowledge and the wisdom. Okay. Right. So let's make sure we don't um, like get that sort of confused. Yeah. And, you know, the keys, the keys to the kingdom, you know, come through Jesus. Yes. Right. So he is the key to the kingdom. And so if anybody, you know, for me, if anybody says, well, there's other things other than that, there's one key. And, uh, you know, he's got the master key that yes. gets into all of those other doors. So um, I would say that, you know, the keys, you know, when it talks about the key to the kingdom, um, it's through Jesus. And that's, you know, takes you right to God and the Holy Spirit. So I, I don't really go beyond that in terms of trying to get too far into it, because, again, the cult will use that in terms of, and the Jesuits are, you know, big on the keys, right? So, oh, really? um, oh, I'll have to ask you that next show. So they'll use that as part of that uh, unlocking hidden wisdom and hidden mysteries. And then we'll draft the scriptures that talk about the mystery of God. And the, and, and the mystery of, uh, and there's a lot of mysteries that the Bible talks about. But understanding Jesus uh, is the key to understanding those mysteries. And one of the things that I try and, and communicate to people, whether it's prophecy or other doctrine, is place everything around what Jesus says first not vice versa. Wow. That's and when you do that, everything falls into place. So you're saying Jesus is the, the gnosis, the one that they're trying to replace. Like he is the, cause they don't have, they've rejected the gospel. They've rejected Jesus. So they're like grabbing at all these weird yes. things to replace the key of all mysteries. The Lord Jesus. Yes. Yeah. So, when Jesus handed the key off to, you know, the disciples, well, all that means is, you know, that's the doorway through which we go through, you know, to find, to find Jesus, right. And then our way into heaven. So, and he gives us the keys and the understanding and the understanding of the spirit of the law 
in the atonement that he's provided for us to be able to go through that door. I don't think it's much more complicated than that. You can get off into some little tangents on that, yes. but at the end okay. of the day, that's that's the master key. Okay. Well, Gary, this has been so exciting to to get to connect with you again, and um, just I thought I would just let you share if there's anything basically on your map right now that you feel uh, where this is all headed. Where do you see the next kind of layer where your research is headed like are you going to um put out some more books soon or are you focusing mostly on just doing the shows and doing conferences um because it's so integral it's not just entertainment as people are seeing they're waking up they're realizing what you've been talking about it's coming true (laughs) you know we're dealing with this so um yeah if you please i i'm i'm refocused and i need to get selfish again to spending more time in terms of writing the current book that I'm writing and that's a prophecy book. Uh, and I've been doing more of that and I, I have a better, I've changed, uh, changed the whole direction of it in terms of how I was in the style of how I was going to write it. So this is going to be a book strictly for Christians and it's on second Exodus and it helps understand the chronology of the days of Jesus as, as Luke 17 talks about twice. Um, that Jesus is coming back not only for rapture, but for Exodus and also for, for Armageddon. And it ties in the elect of both the Old and the New Testament and when all of that happens. So I want to get that done. And then I've got some good ideas in terms of a sequel to the Gen 6, um, where I might, I might go off in two aspects of that. The publisher really wants me to do a sequel. Um, I might do things that I left out, like, um, you know, the Jesuit organization. I don't, really discuss them i give them their building blocks okay um i might put that into and other things i didn't talk about but i think where I, what i'm really going to probably do the book on is spend more time on what i have in section three of the book and really start to tell blow by blow all of the wars of the giants during the time of the conquest Oh, that would be so cool. I love what you said about how David took five stones to take out the five kings, those giant kings. Oh, that would be so exciting. So we'll have to – I will do some diligent study of Section 3 of Genesis 6 conspiracy so that we can hopefully next time um, maybe – Hope spark some more uh, inspirations for what you're going to write. Sure, because well, yeah, because we could talk about the Bone Crushers, for example. (laughs) The Bone Crushers. You hear that, twelve year olds? You want to get on (laughs) us? One of my passions is to make this kind of information, make this information accessible to the younger crowd, the people that aren't going to necessarily be listening to a two hour lecture, but they'll be really interested to know about bone crushers. (laughs) So yeah. Anyway, thank you so much, Gary. And, um, is there, is there any, uh, specific maybe lectures? You mentioned the, the, um, the five part series on CS Lewis, Narnia. Mm -hmm. Um, of course you've been doing shows all across the internet. But is there a specific website, YouTube channel, um, podcast that people can can listen to, kind of, and support and subscribe to you? Not some fake Gary Wang YouTube channel. Yeah, and there and there are a number of them out there. So, <laughs> <I noticed>. um, <laughs> and I and you know I have a YouTube channel. I just don't have it out there. And 
Um, so if, if you're signing up to a YouTube channel, it's not me. Or it's uh, okay. several other guys out there that are, that are imitating me. Uh, no, I don't have that. But if somebody wants to uh, go to uh, Renegade Radio with Josh Peck, um, I do two shows a month on that. Um, just with me, I talk for a half an hour and I stop, you know, very detailed and specific. Uh, I think I've got 21 or 22 shows. There's one that's going to be out on Sunday again. Uh, so I do that twice a month. That's about the only real place you can go. I tend to just work on other people's shows because I can do communicate with more people that way. Um, so, yeah, that's the only place you can go. But if you're interested in information, go to my website. There's an email there um, or get a hold of me on Facebook or under Twitter at Gary Wayne 63. And if you want some information on uh, Azazel that we talked about tonight, um, or if you want to learn all about who a gag was and his bloodlines and the dads and how that all connects into the patronymic names uh, or a specific subject, I have lots of documents. Uh, I did a series on hierarchy of angels, which uh, people are, are loving and uh, all the different, I know how that comes down to the earth and also explain through that process who the, uh, uh, the, Angels are in the wheels in Ezekiel, which is really interesting. Oh, there's angels need, in the wheels. Yeah. Oh. They actually have a, one different face than what the cherubim do, do that are on the outside of the wheels, if you look closely at that. And that's actually explained in the book of Enoch, but I'll oh. show how the Ophanim, which they're named in Enoch, because you have Ophanim, cherubim, and uh, seraphim around uh, the throne of God. Um how that fits into Ezekiel and where to look for that. Well, it's pretty easy. You know, the word wheel goes back to the word Hebrew word Ophan. And I am is the male plural. I've heard all kinds of theories on what the Ophanim are. And I'm sometimes I'm just like, we need, we need a linguist. We need a professional. We need a doctor here. Cause uh, I've heard people say that, you know, Oh, humans are the Ophanim angels. I'm like, I don't know. But then yep. you said in a recent uh, talk with Steve Quayle that um, the Ophanim might also be the thrones. Is that correct? Did I? Yes. Yes. And I explained that because, okay. you know, and again, when Ezekiel, when God comes in on uh, his throne of God, these are the angels that are in the throne with where the wheels are. Right. Okay. And so you got two words going on in there as you take that back to Hebrew, gigal and wheel. And, and I mean, an Ophan, and both mean wheel, but one is specifically for the Ophan. Okay, taking notes here, guys. You need to like yeah. have a notebook when you listen to Gary Wayne and just take notes and send us your questions too. If we have the honor again of doing an interview, hopefully in the next few months, we could um, definitely jump into some more of these directions and i would love to just talk with you about jesuits for an hour yes. if we can ever do that oh. and and again if people want again a three-part series on the jesuits i have okay. that in a document form that that literally blows everybody's minds in terms of well that's not what i thought period but again if you don't understand bloodlines and the secret societies you don't understand much about the jesuits and where they fit in Excellent. 
Oh man. Okay. I've got a lot of, I'm going to put all these notes in the show notes when we're done. <laughs> and, um, it's been, it's already been like a chapter of a, of a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, thank you so much. And, um, thanks again for everybody's, uh, bearing with me. I hope I didn't talk too much. I, you know, drink coffee and I get to talk to one of my heroes and I just kind of lose, lose, <laughs> lose it. <laughs> so, but Gary, thank That's you. True. And, um, yeah, thanks. It was great to have this, this chance to talk with you. Well, thank you for having me on again. And anytime you want to, to do another show, just let me know. It's just uh, a matter of setting up a date and, uh, and I'd great. love to do another show. Thank you. And, and thanks also to Troy, quote unquote, the conqueror who's helped to, sh- who, to who helped set up this interview today. So I want to really thank him and, um, bless everybody and thank Johnny for, um, his help with, We've got this new setup here so we can actually look kind of professional now. <laughs> and um, God bless all you guys. FringeRadioNetwork.com. All righty. Let me just turn off the radio here. One second. And...